Hello, hi, and welcome to another episode of The Emma Gunn Show. And it's time for an Ask Me Anything. You know, it's been such a long time since we've done one of these. And there were so many questions when I put the shout out, whatever you like to call it, on um, Instagram and also in the Facebook group. I had a lot of messages, a lot of DMs. So um, please expect a really quite, <laughs> a really quite wide variety of questions and hopefully they will be helpful. The answers will be helpful. Um, it's so, it's always so lovely when you take the time to get in touch. So thank you very much for helping me create this episode. Um, you, my most excellent listeners are just wonderful. So thank you so much for the time and effort that you put into supporting the show, because it really does mean a lot. Um, I am (laughs) so weird not having a guest here. Um, although I would be talking to them via the computer, but it's so lovely. So I've got a really high tech setup here of a, um, my microphone perched on a Christmas beauty box set, gift set. Um, so, so shall we crack on? Uh, I've also got a nice winter cardigan on, so I'm nice and cozy. Right. Straight in with uh, a question. What does um, an acupressure mat do and which one do you recommend? Now, this would have come out of the fact that I put on social media a few months ago that I was using an acupressure mat. An acupressure mat, very broadly speaking, is a mat. It can come with a pillow or it doesn't always, but um, and it's basically covered in soft spikes. So they're not going to prick your skin or break the skin, but they are the in the shape of your back on the mat. You are you then lie on it, and the acupressure mat obviously triggers certain acupressure points for various benefits. Now I'd been looking at these for a little while, and I've been thinking about them, but I didn't want it to be one of those things that I bought, didn't really see any benefit from, and so just sort of left in the corner. And I saw Davinia Taylor talking about it on her Instagram, and I was chatting to my family about it. And then in the end, my brother very kindly uh, sent me one as a gift, which I thought was really nice of him. So I got to try it out. And actually, it's something I use quite a lot. And we went back and forth quite a lot about, you know, are they really up to much? Should you just go and get acupuncture? And we actually talked about this, my family and I, during lockdown, and obviously going and having a treatment like acupuncture wasn't going to be a viable option. And I also spoke to my friend, Joanna McGarry, who's been on this podcast before. She used to be the beauty director at Stylist and she went and did a post, uh, a master's in Chinese medicine. And I messaged her and I said, look, am I falling for the hype? Am I falling for the nonsense? And she said, no, actually there are benefits to be had. And as soon as I got the green light from Joe, I was, <laughs> I couldn't roll that mat out fast enough. I'll tell you, because she is so smart. If she, if she endorses it, you know that it's the real deal. But we also did our research. So I went, I looked online and there are very many, uh, there are very many resources um, that suggested that it was good. And there are things like pain relief. So for example, I sit at my desk a lot. And at the end of the day, usually my left shoulder feels like it needs to almost be unhooked. It feels very tight. It can sometimes really hurt. And I've yet to find any kind of exercise that actually really gets into that and so I thought well that might help with that so let's see how we go it's also uh, lying on the mat produces endorphins it's said to lower I mean this has all been done with studies that I'm not going to quote here because it's difficult to put the links in but there are studies that show that it produces endorphins lying on it I tend to lie on it for 20 minutes um, lowers high blood pressure for the period of time that you're on it um, relieves chronic neck and back pain or can definitely help in the treatment if you are having 
other treatment, then this won't hurt. There's also some evidence to show that it can aid recovery from sports injuries and also sleep. It's good for muscle relaxation. It improves feelings of fatigue. It has been shown in studies to improve the symptoms of depression, anxiety, and stress. Now, obviously, that's if you're doing other things as well. You can't just think, well, I'll lie on that and that'll cure that. No, you have to be doing some other work. And the same is true for digestion. It's said to help with digestion, but I guess there would be other things if you maybe were taking probiotics or you were maybe eating at certain times based on whatever was going on with your digestion that was causing you any kind of problem. It's also said to bring oxygen to the surface of the skin, which can make you glow. But I don't know. I think I'd rather use a resurfacing, um, you know, like a glow tonic or a, a gentle... AHA or BHA to be honest but there we go but you know it's meant to bring um, oxygen to the surface of the skin and one of the big things that I wanted it for really was relieving headaches and migraines because definitely before um, at the end of my cycle towards the end of my cycle I can get a terrible migraine and it's to do with an estrogen drop and I do uh, have treatment for it but when they hit by Jiminy, they really hit and it can just knock me out. And it's not just the migraine, it's the day that it can sometimes take to feel like the migraine's coming on, the migraine itself. And then sometimes for two days afterwards, I can feel really out of sorts still. So that's something I try to avoid. And there are no side effects from using it and it's easy to use. So literally, um, you roll it up, I've got one, a mat, and then it comes with a pillow, which has also got spikes on it. And I just roll it up and put it back in its pouch and shove it in the back of a cupboard when I'm not using it. So it's really portable and easy to use, which is incredibly, incredibly useful. So the way that I tend to use it is uh, I work from home a lot, as you all know, and I will sometimes find about three o'clock, I'll get that sort of feeling of, "Mm, I could really do with a coffee or I could really do with a nap. And really what's happened is I've just been sitting in the same position or I've been doing something for the for a sustained period of time. And I've just, I think it's because my heart rate slowed down, to be honest. And so it's thinking, surely we should be going sleep to sleep now. And what I find is that if I roll out the mat, do 20 minutes, even if I doze off, when I wake up, it's not like I then think, oh, I really need something sweet. I just go back to what I was doing because I do think that the fog that you can get after a nap can be quite awful <laughs> and sometimes counterproductive to the nap that you've taken in the first, or the reasons that you wanted to take the nap in the first place. So in, in all, and I've had the mat now for about three months I really rate it I'm very glad that I have it it's one of those things that when you feel a certain way whether it's I feel a migraine coming on I feel a bit tired maybe I feel a bit anxious I have actually a few times when I found myself sort of pacing around feeling a bit agitated I've put myself on the mat and it's made me feel much better so 20 minutes usually mid-afternoon really does it does a girl good and sometimes on a Sunday morning before I go out for a long walk I lie on it for about 20 minutes and I feel like I get the benefits so and sometimes again after I exercise if my muscles are feeling a little bit sore I think well I'll just jump on there and it takes no time at all and I can listen to a bit of a podcast or an audiobook or whatever while I'm on there and it's just a lovely way to just feel like you're doing something you know sometimes you think if you're a bit, bit achy, you've got a migraine, you just stop. So you sit down on the sofa and you might watch a bit of TV. But this feels like a, a little, you've got a bit more agency about what you're doing. Yes, you're stopping, but you're doing something that might actually make you feel a bit better. So that's how I feel about acupressure mats. And I'll put a link in the show notes to the one that I have so that you can see, so that in, you'll see it's inexpensive and it's really easy to use and it's really easy to store because you can fold it up, put it in the little bag that it comes with and uh, pop it in the top or of a cupboard or back of a cupboard, wherever it might be. So there we go. 
The next question that came in was, I need your advice on cruelty-free makeup, but I don't know what is good and what isn't. So this is such an interesting topic and it's something that came up in the comments for one of my Instagram posts recently. So I did, um, I followed along, but sort of also put my own spin on it, meaning it wasn't as good, to a 1930s makeup tutorial that Erin Parsons did on Instagram. And when I posted the picture, somebody commented, shame you didn't use a cruelty-free lipstick. And I was like, oh God, well, yeah, all right then. Um... And then I said, well, if it, I said, it's not, it's not always as clear cut as you think. And I say this because when Claire Coleman came on the podcast, she talked about it at length and she is the forensic beauty journalist. And so she is somebody who stays on top of this information the whole time. And the person came back and said, if it's sold in China, then it's still tested on animals. And so actually what I'm going to do is I'm going to share Claire's answer from that co- that she commented because I tagged her and said Claire could you offer some insight on this because I know it's not as simple as that and Claire's response was okay this is quite a complex area and it's not as clear-cut as if you sell in China you test or pay someone to test on animals because lipstick isn't a special use cosmetic like sun cream or deodorant as I understand if you manufacture in China it's not subject to pre-market testing on animals it might be subject to post-market testing but Last year, it was announced that non-special use cosmetics would not be subject to post-market testing on animals. I don't know if Rimmel, this was the brand that I was wearing in the post, manufacture in China or not. I'm just saying that it's not quite as clear-cut as some people suggest. Claire says freethebunnies.com and cruelty-free-international.org have the most up-to-date information on the rapidly changing situation that I have found. So I think that's the way to look at it. I think sometimes the information can take quite a long time to filter down. And that's not anybody's fault, by the way. It's I remember somebody saying years ago, oh, if um, a company tests uh, sells in China, then that means that they're saying that they that you can test our products on animals and that it will be happening. But then it emerged, actually, it's not as clear cut as that. There's an option to, but it's not definitely going to happen. And so I think, as Claire says, if you're uncertain, go to freethebunnies.com, cruelty-free-international.org and see what they're saying about a brand because that's probably the place where you're going to find the most up-to-date information so that you can make the best buying choices for for the products that you want to use and that you want to make sure that they're not tested on animals. I hope that was helpful. Next question that came in and actually um, I had a ton of questions on this so um, but I recently did an episode on on it so I'm just kind of going to lump them into not lump them in but um, hopefully in answering this question I answer a lot of questions about my hair so um the question is how is your hair density coming along and I started I had a zoom video call consultation with Annabelle Kingsley from Philip Kingsley at the beginning of lockdown so I think it was around the end of April beginning of May and prior to that I filled out a very detailed health questionnaire and gave a lot of information took pictures medical history all of that kind of stuff and then had a video call and Annabelle said I'm I'm pretty certain you've got androgenic alopecia which is a progressive hair loss condition I will we will have to confirm that in the flesh which happened a couple of months later Annabelle uh, went on mat leave in that time and so I saw her colleague Susie Hammond and Susie was on the show recently now so I've been what is it May June July August September I just counted on my fingers but did them all in the wrong order okay so 
May, June, July, August, September, October. So we're getting up just over six months. And I can definitely see and feel a difference from using the protocol that Annabelle recommended and then subsequently what Susie recommended. So the difference between the two is that because my original consultation was via Zoom, I could only be recommended or I could only use a certain strength of drops. Um, you can only be given the stronger strength, i.e. the prescription strength, once you're seen in the flesh and then they can be dispensed. So, which is quite correct and proper and the way to do it. So I saw Susie a couple of months ago, so I've been using the drop, the new drops for two months. I have definitely seen a difference in making these changes to my hair routine. First of all, washing my hair every day and prioritizing a clean scalp, which is something that I didn't used to do. I used to try and leave my hair as long as possible because I didn't want to aggravate my hair in a way that might make it shed. I so that's one thing. I dry my hair using the cool setting on the hair dryer, which never really occurred to me to do because I always used to maybe I didn't used to have it on the hottest, but I never used to have it on the coolest. So I use a Dyson Supersonic and I use it on the coolest setting. I minimize styling my hair with heat two, three times a week, which hurts because I really like to put a curl in my hair. But for the benefit of the quality of my hair, it's something I have no issue at all with doing. Um, what else? I'm, I recently started combing my hair in the shower when the conditioner's on with a wide tooth comb. And then I'm really careful with how I brush it. So I brush from the bottom up. So I brush from the bottom of my hair and very gently work my way up to the top. And I try not to do too much else to it. And then, of course, I'm using the topical drops. And I could go into detail about my topical drops, but if you go and have an appointment with Philip Kingsley, you'll have a completely different consultation potentially. And so you might, as a result, get a completely different prescription. But all I would say is what is absolutely without a doubt is that after a couple of years or a few years of using topical shampoos and conditioners that had, you know, some kind of tonic or tincture in the mix. There's no doubt that the quality of my hair, the health of my hair was improved. And I'm sure that my scalp was refined. But since I've been on the Philip Kingsley protocol, the difference in the density of my hair is is just obvious. I mean, I looked at the pictures that I took before my first appointment and I look at the I look at my hair now and you can definitely see that there it you can see less scalp particularly on the front of my hairline which is obviously really cheering and the big difference is that I delegated the issue to an expert and yes I appreciate that that comes with a cost but when someone is looking at the underlying condition then it can be treated properly so for example with me androgenic alopecia it's um, a, a, an oversensitivity or a sensitivity to the androgen, the male hormones, which can over time miniaturize your follicles, uh, which means that your hairs get thinner and also shorter. And it's progressive, so it only gets worse. So if I go into a, I don't know, a chemist, or if I go into any kind of beauty store and I buy a caffeine shampoo, that's not going to deal with sensitivity to a male hormone, is it? might stimulate my scalp a little bit, might make it tingle, but it's not going to treat the progressive part of the condition. And I keep battling back and forth thinking, I feel so bad that I'm saying, if you want to deal with this, you have to spend money. But in my, I, I just don't see any other way. And I would never steer you wrong, not for no goddamn TV show. Sorry, that's a RuPaul quote that just fell out of my mouth. But I would never steer you wrong. I would never suggest that you could do something 
that wouldn't help you you know I would that's not where I come from. that's not how I approach any of this and my experience now of having had this treatment with Philip Kingsley is that the only way to deal with any kind of hair loss condition is to delegate the issue to a trichologist yes I'm seeing Philip Kingsley other trichologists are available but they are obviously a world-renowned center of excellence for all things hair loss but it's the point it, the, the the point I'm trying to make is if you had really severe acne and it was only getting worse you would at some point go to a dermatologist or go to a doctor and seek professional help and the same is true for uh, hair loss and also one of the things that can be intimidating about it is thinking great so I'm going to have to spend all this money on these topical treatments when I know that I can get that bundle of shampoos and conditioners from the supermarket that'll cost me 10 pounds and will last me three months you have to the only way I can think about it is I have to look at it in the same way as I use retinol and anti-aging treatments I wouldn't use them for a month and then stop using them I would continue to use them because I want the continued benefits and the same is true for your hair so if there is an underlying issue if there is an issue with thinness it's once you start treating it it's the same way as your approach to anti-aging you're just going you're just going to keep doing it but obviously it means that you're spending money on the skin on your face and the skin on your scalp and your hair so I totally appreciate that it it involves finances which are obviously quite fraught at the moment but given pandemic but um that that is my advice and i am sharing it because i think it's the best advice and i would never give you what i thought was mediocre advice i would always i'm always going to be straight up with you is what i'm trying to say okay and the also the other thing that i'll say is that when i was on the call i had my follow-up call a follow-up consultation with susie this week and at one point she said okay well yes 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 but what about you how are you feeling and when I talked about the difference that I've seen in my hair it was really emotional and I'd sort of put it to one side for a while and I felt really I felt I really did well up because it really has made a difference and even when I look at pictures obviously I put a lot of pictures on Instagram if I scroll back a year it's almost shocking to me now sometimes to look at my hairline and think god I can't believe I posted that um because you can see the difference now but anyway that's a that's a side note let's talk about results and let's talk about you um, the next question is if you could only use one brand of makeup and skincare what would it be goodness gracious me do you know what's funny is that um when i went on i co-hosted los angeles which is uh one of the big beauty podcasts based out of la with kirby johnson the other day sarah her um not original co-host sarah her co-host is currently on maternity leave so um, i stepped in and she asked me this question and i was like oh for goodness sake that's you know that that's an unfair question beauty professional to beauty professional that's just cruel but what I would say is this, because since we recorded, I, I was thinking about it sort of a little bit more. And if you said to me tomorrow, Emma, here's the deal. From, from here on in, you can only ever buy, and you can only ever buy a high street beauty product. You can only ever buy a product that's under, 30, under 20 pounds from the high street. Premiums, premiums off the table for you. You're all about mass and a little bit of mastige. And that's it. I wouldn't be that, I wouldn't be fussed. I really thought about that. When I think about the products that really deliver, I think about foundations. I think Rimmel do great foundations. Maybelline do great foundations. L'Oreal do great foundations. Uh, who's another high street brand? Because obviously there are tons. Um, I just, uh, 
I don't think if I had to go to Boots or Superdrug for my beauty, I'd be pleased. And obviously I don't mean like the Boots premium section. I'm just talking about if I had to go and get my skincare and my beauty products from the high street, I'd be happy as a clam. And the other thing I'd say, and this is in reference also to um, Nadine Baggett had her skincare edit box come out with Superdrug this week. And it was an edit that was seven products, including uh the seventh is microfiber cloths, but there were six products in there. So a cleanser, uh, two hyaluronics, a vitamin C, a niacinamide, and a hot cloth cleanser. I might have repeated myself, sorry. Um, but full price value, that's £40. But in her edit, it's 25 But even £40 for your cleanser, all of that that's going to last you quite some time. They are great, great products. So I think it's really brilliant what's happened in the last few years because I don't know as if I would have said that 10 years ago, but I feel very comfortable saying it now. Even I've got on my desk at the moment some of the L'Oreal Paris Revitalift, the hyaluronic acid stuff. And it's so, it's so, I'd have no problem using that hyaluronic acid from here on in. So uh, that's my answer to that question. There's no one brand because please don't do that. But High Street, I'm all about it. Don't get me wrong. I love a Chanel foundation. I really enjoy a YSL mascara, a Pat McGrath mascara, a Charlotte Tilbury eyeshadow quad. But would I, would I get any less in terms of how it looked on me from high street? No, I don't believe I would. Okay. What do you enjoy most about doing your podcast was also a question I got, um, in very many, uh, iterations if you like and I genuinely have to say it's my interaction with you my most excellent listeners it really is the messages I receive are are brilliant so thoughtful some some of the messages are just so thoughtful and so considered and even if someone's saying I didn't like that episode for whatever reason which I have to say doesn't happen very often which is quite pleasing um but if you do say that I will take it on board and I'll think about what I could have done differently what I could have done better and I'll take that into the next conversation I have but the other thing about my dialogue with you is that I'm also able to hold myself accountable um in order and I always say like the, the sort of tagline for the show is I have conversations with people who are smarter than me so we can learn so I always intend to get people who are an expert in their field so that we can get a real insight and a glimpse into a perspective that maybe we might not have access to normally and therefore learn and grow from it which is which is a really wonderful part of the job too um and it pushes me to have conversations I might normally be too nervous to have and actually lockdown has been so interesting because the world has opened up slightly insofar as before lockdown, if I requested an interview with someone like Gillian Michaels, who was on the podcast a couple of months ago, it might have been the case that the consensus was, well, she's got a trip planned in six months. So let's set it up then and we can do it face to face. And obviously a face to face interview is always preferable. It's, it's, uh, it's really nice to not only have a conversation with someone, but to sort of physically be in the room with them and read their body language while you're having a conversation. And with lockdown, what's happened is that because that option is off the table, people have been so much more open to having uh, Zoom calls across you know various time zones and across continents. So I think in the last six months, I've done more international podcasts than I ever have before, meaning with international guests. And I think it's been really interesting, but 
a lot of them have made me so nervous because people I previously thought would have said no have said yeah all right <laughs> so there have been there have been so many days during lockdown when I've had to roll out my acupressure mat <laughs> because I'm either speak, usually speaking to someone on, L, on LA time and so I'm not speaking to them until five o'clock in the evening so basically for the whole day I'm a bag of nerves like with Julian I was a bag of nerves because I wanted to get really good intel out of her for you and with a lot of these people sometimes you only get one shot and I was like right I want to get this is what I want to get for my listeners I think this is the thing that's going to be the most useful and so by the time I actually called her I was just I just thought I'm not even going to check my blood pressure or my heart rate because I know it's going to be through the roof and I've had that a few times during lockdown where I've really been excited about getting people onto the show for you and as a result, it's um, it's just it's made me quite nervous. But I know that it's going to be a good show if I'm really nervous about it. If I'm not nervous going into it, I sometimes think, oh, maybe, maybe this isn't the right conversation. But I, I feel very pleased actually that throughout lockdown we've 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 been able to get some really good people on the show. So there we go, which leads nicely actually into the next question a few people said to me which guests or guests in 2020 have had the biggest impact on you and I liked this particularly the phrasing because it wasn't who's your favorite because I always feel like if you're on my show I already love you but uh, in terms of the biggest impact I would say there are four that really spring to mind the first is James Nestor who is the author of the book called Breath uh, the book Breath um, the lost art, I've forgotten the full name of it now, but essentially he's done this, all this research into breathing and how evolutionary speaking, our breathing has gone backwards and is actually not serving us and is negatively impacting on our health. And one of the main reasons for that is because we are mouth breathing and not nose breathing. And the book is so extensive in terms of the research that he's done on mouth breathing versus nose breathing. But basically the the experience of reading that book made me breathe differently because you can't read a book about breathing and not be mindful about your breathing and then the conversation with James which I really enjoyed I thought he was really like he just seemed really cool um and he was so knowledgeable and so thoughtful and really believed this as well like he was so passionate about the difference it can make to people's lives. And that really was something that shone through. He wants people to know what he knows because he knows they'll feel better. And he's done all this research to show that if you aren't, if you are mouth breathing more than your nose breathing, the health implications, the negative health implications could mean X, Y, and Z. And so he's just saying, if you just know this and if you do this, this could make you feel so much better. And he's so desperate to get that message out to as many people as possible, which I have full respect for. And so since then, there isn't a day goes by when I don't think about that conversation, about that book. And so when I'm working out, if I'm, it sounds so stupid, if I'm working out and I'm about to go and do goblet squats, I will sync my breath up so that I breathe in through my nose on the way down and I and out through my mouth on the way up. Or sometimes I'll try and do in through the nose and out through the nose as well although that can be quite tough when you're exercising because it's just a natural reflex to at some point if you're working up a lot of heat and a lot of sweat there's an impulse to go <gasps> through the mouth to sort of gasp in more air but every single day even if I go for a long walk the whole there's a whole thing in the book about um 
the ideal breathing rhythm ratio is like five and a half seconds in, five and a half seconds out. So when I go walking, I probably look very severe because I'm literally going two, three, four, five, two, three, in my head. I'm not saying it out loud. I wouldn't do that, but I'm just trying to um, take it all on board. So for that reason, the James Nestor podcast had a massive impact on me. The other conversation I had recently was with Evie Pamporis, who was the uh, the former Secret Service agent. So she had worked with the uh, Bushes, both as um, senior and junior, um, in her role as a Secret Service agent. She had worked with the Obamas and the Clintons, and she has a book called Becoming Bulletproof. And it was it's a fascinating book because it's essentially about building up emotional resilience and about understanding your place in the world, other place, other people's place in the world, uh, dynamics with people. It's a really fascinating book. It really, really is. And she also, one of her jobs was she was a, a master interrogator by the sounds of it. And it was just really interesting to see how she was able to be in a room with somebody who morally she may have fundamentally disagreed with and wanted to beat the crap out of. But because of I'm not I'm putting words into her mouth there by the way I didn't I'm not suggesting that she wanted to do that but obviously you're faced with a a a criminal who has done some awful things and she was able to put that all in the back burner and treat them in a way that would get them to give her what she needed to put them away and I really enjoyed the sort of how methodical that was and I enjoy enjoyed how intelligent it was and is and I just learned so much from her and we ended up having a conversation that was about the book and was about the skills that she'd learned in the secret service and in the police but also very much just about how to handle people we talked about toxic relationships and toxic friendships and we have kept in touch offline as well and I just think she's a really brilliant human and I engage with anything that she puts out in the world and my conversation with her as well was um again I was really really nervous and what was really cool as well is we've she was she just worked out so she was like we're not on video are we and I said no but I can see you but don't worry this isn't going anywhere and I was saying I'm excited about this interview you know I really I've read the book I really like it and she said I got you we're gonna make this great and she's just that kind of really good energy so that had a really big impact on me and I continue to follow and hang on a lot of what she says and revisit parts of the book as well because I think so much of it is so valuable and so applicable now I've already mentioned Gillian but I would be uh, wrong to say that that uh, interview didn't have a big impact on me because I have had again if you're a long-time listener or follower you'll know that I had a massive epiphany last year about my weight and the fact that I've been overweight for most of my adult life and after my breast reduction surgery I had this light bulb moment where well the truth is it's like there's nothing quite as confronting as spending your savings on getting your boobs reduced only for it to <laughs> emphasize that you're every, that you're overweight everywhere else <laughs> like that's a light bulb moment that's a moment where you're just gonna have to go right we need to get real and so from that if you've watched the IGTV I did about it I just thought right I don't want to keep doing this I don't want to keep yo-yoing and I've been on a cycle of success and failure with over exercising and eating very little for a long time and then going back to my old habits so the key here isn't to be a fitness bunny who eats very little as I had done before the key is to fix my normal behavior or by normal inverted commas I mean the behavior that I was consistently going back to and and addressing that and that was the key to me being able to 
get a hold of my health basically because at 42 I was beginning to get I was beginning to be aware of health implications and that was really important to me to address and so by having a conversation with Gillian after all of that and being I find her approach which is all in science it's thermodynamics calories in calories out I find the the cleanliness I find how clean that logic is really easy to get on board with and I know that there was a mixed response to Gillian I know that some people don't like the persona that they saw on Biggest Loser but I will be really honest with you I spoke to her on tape and that's the conversation you heard and we spoke off tape either side for quite a while and I found her to be really compassionate really interested and quite a so- like not not soft because she's obviously strong you can see she's strong but she's very thoughtful and she is incredible and I found her to be compassionate and she really listens so yes there's that that yes there's that persona but just as a side note I used to interview Simon Cowell a lot back in the day and he that was when he was properly like evil nasty what was he not nasty Simon like everyone thought he was evil and yet you would go and interview him and he was one of the sweetest people you could spend time with so a tv persona versus a reality is I don't know I would say from my experience I really liked her and I didn't I didn't find her to be lacking in compassion I didn't find her to be fat shaming when I spoke to her about fat shaming and that bit particularly was off tape I didn't think that she was at all so that was so anyway that's a sort of long answer to say that I had it was really nice to having had my own light bulb moment and epiphany about my own health my own weight and exercising and food it was really interesting to then have Gillian on and that's really stuck with me and then my final one because I, I could list all, all of the guests who've been on the show this year, is Master Dominic, who came on right at the start of the, po- uh, of the year in 2020. God, that feels like about 10 years ago now. <laughs> Master Dominic is the professional dominant. He, again, and this is always the key, um, I find that when I do podcast conversations with someone, or not I find, but I feel it's quite a connecting thing. And it's quite nice when that conversation carries on afterwards and so I would say that's happened with Evie I would say like I would say that's happened with Gillian a little bit and definitely with Dom who I speak to semi-regularly and I just found his perspective fascinating I know loads of you loved that episode I had so much positive feedback and I just think he's a really brilliant person which is why I had him back on um, feel good habits and I just it's that thing of it would be so easy for me to create a podcast where I just spoke to people in the beauty industry and you can be pretty guaranteed that we're probably going to have similar thoughts there's going to be a lot of crossover in the things that we think and the way that we feel about certain subjects and what I find so wonderful about this podcast and the opportunity it affords me is to speak to people whose perspective is different from mine or is uh, a, a perspective I would never have any access to I wouldn't even know that it existed I certainly had no idea what it was like to be a professional dominant obviously so that's what I really love about the podcast and how just having a really easy conversation where you sit in front of somebody and say I really I'm really interested in you and what you stand for and what you do could you share it with me and I feel like that was why the conversation with Dom really impacted on me because I found him to be so generous and so open and to make something that felt completely inaccessible to me before really accessible and to understand it and I just I really enjoyed that conversation with Dom which is why it went on for about two hours because I would have very happily 
kept the tape going for another three but um I was just very mindful of his time (laughs) but there we go so those are my four guests of 2020 so far there are more to come uh who have really had an impact on me where are we okay let's see how many more we can get in to get us to an hour okay what are your favorite recipes from Ian Hay's seven day basket cookbook hurrah this is a lifeline this book I can't tell you how much of a lifeline it is to me um and I'm actually going to sandwich this get the food joke there with another question that I received which was let me just scroll through the document oh blimey um are you ever worried that you're going to go back to making poor food choices was another message that I received and the reason why I'm tagging on to this question is because I think it, it the two go hand in hand in some ways Ian Hayes book the seven day basket the premise of which is buy one basket of food and it'll last you a week and there'll be tons of variety and no waste is a brilliant premise I have used the book slightly differently prior to lockdown I wasn't I would probably eat a, only eat at home four times a week so buying a seven-day basket didn't really make any sense and so I've gone in and I've picked particular recipes and I tend to batch cook them so uh, I've spoken before about how the lentil and bolognese uh, lentil and mushroom bolognese is one of my favorites the chicken and feta meatballs I've recently incorporated the um, Vietnamese pork uh, meatballs and noodles but I swap out pork for chicken I mean I haven't found a duff recipe. I really, really haven't. I really, really haven't. There's also a really lovely spicy tuna with avocado and spinach, which is one of my favorites. But the reason why I've tagged it onto the question about are you worried about going back to poor food choices? Because the truth is, yes, I am. I do sometimes think, is this going to stick? Because I've done a lot of diets. I've restricted myself many times over the years. And I've always got, I have, as I mentioned earlier, you, I've always gone back to a particular way of eating, which hasn't then served me, which is a particular way of e- eating where to sort of use the science of it, I've consumed more than I've burned off. And so I've stored fat and I've been, you know, two stone overweight for the majority of my adult life. And it was two stone I didn't want to carry around anymore. So I, um, I am worried But I do feel like that book, Brain Over Binge, which again, you can't talk about my particular weight loss or um, or anything to do with uh, much recently (laughs) without mentioning Brain Over Binge by Catherine Hansen. But that book allowed me to see the way that I ate very clearly, which is it's a binge eating disorder. And I was able to, to sort of see what was going on from a distance and then make changes. And I was very lucky in that I read the book and the changes just seemed to happen like a software update. And it really didn't feel like a lot of effort. But I am able to catch it now because I'm not going to lie to you and say that there haven't been times when I've found myself circling the kitchen like an apex predator looking for something to eat and maybe sort of occasionally things have found their way into my face. But I am able to catch it now. So for example, this week's a really good example. Every two months I rejig my workouts. You should sort of do them every six six weeks, but it's just easier to remember first of the month, right? I'll start something new on the first of the month. And last the last six months I have been doing variations on Alice Living's workout plans. I think she's absolutely brilliant. I think her workouts are great and her Instagram feed is like the best free resource and I've even said this to her I feel like I owe her numerous dinners out or numerous bunches of flowers because she has just kept me fit for a long time and she's given me all of this content that hasn't cost me a penny 
And so I really do need to do something for her to say thank you. But I decided that for the last two months of the year, I would delegate my fitness to Gillian Michaels in large part because obviously I had the conversation with her. But also before I had the conversation with her, her people gave me um, uh, press access to her app. But I was doing Alice Living or Alice Living's programs. And so I didn't start it until this week. And it's quite a different way of working out from the way I've, I've been working out using Alice's uh, info. And I am ravenously hungry to the point where I am, <laughs> I'm messaging Claire Coleman quite a lot saying, oh my God, I'm ravenous because Claire did uh, Gillian Michaels, used Gillian Michaels app in the summer. And when I saw Claire in the summer, she looked toned AF. So I'm, I'm really looking forward to the results. But um, I'm just ravenously hungry. Like I cannot tell you that I just want to eat crisps all the time and I'm really quite keen for some toast and I wouldn't mind... I don't know. I just wouldn't mind if there was just a bowl of snacks in front of me, I'd just be mindlessly eating them. Plus this week I'm also premenstrual. So I'm at that point in my cycle where I'm naturally going to have cravings for carbohydrates. Like it's just, it's just, it's a perfect storm. So my appetite's gone through the roof is what I'm trying to say. And I was at the fridge earlier today, in fact, and I was about to put something in my mouth. I was about to put a black olive in my mouth because I do with to go with my puttanesca from the seven day basket and as I was literally like hand was halfway to my mouth I was like oh and I said out loud this is how it starts stop and I rationally did a tally of what I'd eaten that day what I'd already eaten so I'd worked out I'd broken my fast with my coffee and then I'd had uh poached eggs and spinach so I was like no you've had you've had enough for the time of day you've had enough. So I put it back. I didn't need it. I wanted it, but I didn't need it. And so I'm able to do that now, whereas I wouldn't have been able to do that previously. So I hope that that helps. And that also uh, flags up another recipe from Seven Day Basket, which is the puttanesca, which is so delicious. I can't even tell you. It's just so, so lovely. Um, so yes, so <laughs> that's a long way of telling you the best recipes from the seven day basket. Although honestly, I don't think there's a bad one. Oh, I also had, um, oh God, what was it? Tofu and not spicy tofu, pad, pad thai. That's it. It's a spicy tofu pad thai. And boy, that was good. That was so good as well. Because basically, and actually this finishes off the whole point, is when I feel like I'm getting out of control again, or I feel like things like going to the fridge like that are happening, I think, right, spend a bit of time, get the seven-day basket out, pick three new recipes that you've never cooked from it before and plan those. And then you can, um, and then it refocuses me. It's, it sounds really odd, but it just, because I think some of sometimes that urge to eat sort of irrationally and without any real plan is because you don't know what you're going to have for dinner or you don't know what else you're going to eat in the day. So sometimes if I feel a little bit like I'm craving things that I don't need, I think, right, get the book out and pick three new recipes or pick two new recipes. And even the act sometimes of cooking the food, methodically chopping things up, measuring things out can make, can just reset. So for that reason, I really do. I love that book, but I don't think I need to tell you that again because you already know that. We'll move back on to beauty, shall we? Because I actually had this question a lot and I think it's because I wang on about it so much in my IGTVs where I do my makeup. I've had a lot of questions asking for recommendations for a good eyeliner for the waterline. So the waterline is basically your inner eyeline. So 
it's right on the eye you sometimes have to pull your lower lid away and if you use if you color in your waterline on your upper lash you normally pull that away too and it can be a little bit uncomfortable well not uncomfortable but it's not like necessarily the nicest feeling so that's the waterline so it's not outside the eye it's almost like very slightly inside as well and so for that reason waterline you need a waterproof formula so you need something that's not going to budge and that's not going to five hours after you start wearing it have collected into the inner corner of your eye as a little pool of black gray brown blue purple goo which is not very becoming and for that reason there are three and only three that i have used repeatedly and would be comfortable recommending for use on the waterline the first is mark jacobs the highliner this is incredible this is an incredible product that not only doesn't budge but the density of the pigment particularly in the black one in fact the black one is the only one i've ever used so the black highliner by mark jacobs beauty is just nothing like nothing else it is so inky black and it does not budge it's soft and it doesn't, it's not difficult to apply in any way, shape, or form. But once it's in, it is like you have used um, an inky, uh, what do I mean, inky line, like a felt tip to, to line your inner court, to line your waterline. It's incredible. The other thing that makes the Mark Jacobs Beauty Highliner a really good high, uh, product is it comes in so, so many colors. And I've only, like I said, I've only used the black, but when I was in Sephora with Lindsay Kelk, oh, it seems so long ago, when I was in LA, um, 18 months ago, nearly, no, it's nearly two years, I had never, I'd never really seen the Marc Jacobs display. And I remember saying to her, I can't believe there are so many highliners. There's like so many different shades of blue, so much, so much choice, so much choice. So if you're looking for something that won't budge, is really inky in pigment, it really has a lot of payoff and um, really delivers, that's a great product. As is the Mali Beauty, as are the Mali Beauty bulletproof liners. And the thing about, and now again, I've used a trio that was her collaboration with RuPaul the first time around because Mali has revealed that there's a second collaboration coming. But it was three eyeliners in black, chocolatey brown, and also a very reddy brown, like a red squirrel brown. And they are exactly the same. They don't budge. But they are a bit like the Marc Jacob. If you use them on the normal, your normal line, so above your lashes, and blend them, you do get a little bit of playtime. So you can actually shear them out a little bit and use them as eyeliners. And I use the Mali brown one to do a, a sort of flick, a softer brown flick quite a lot. And I just scribble it on and then use a brush to really uh, create that shape. Um, but the only colors I've seen from Mali are obviously the black brown and the reddy brown. So the other one I would recommend, which I think is brilliant, is the Bad Gal Bang by Benefit 24 hour liner that comes in your black and your brown, but also crucially for eye color, purple, which is great for blue eyes and uh, green eyes, and also blue, which is great for brown eyes as well. So I think if you are using your waterline, if you are thinking about using a liner in your waterline, and which is quite subtle it really it's quite impactful but actually because the eye can't really read it it can be quite um impactful so if you just want to accentuate your eye color and change nothing else if maybe you're you've got brown eyes and you'll love a taupe eyeshadow and you wear mascara black mascara and that's your look great but maybe just just for 
just for giggles, why not just try one of maybe a blue, um, a very dark blue waterline liner and see if it makes a difference? I'm just going to put that out there. That's all you. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> okay. Um, this is a brilliant question, actually. Uh, I've and I was again. I was asked several versions of this, but basically, it boils down to how do you survive a mental health relapse? And I do think this is a brilliant question because I think the first thing I would say to anybody is that recovery or the way out of depression or anxiety or any mental health issue that um, in that vein, it's not linear. And so for every good day or for every series of good days, there might be a bad day and the bad days might change in severity. They might change in how they feel. But the one thing I would say, and I'm coming from the perspective here um, for new listeners or for people who don't know the story, a few years ago I was diagnosed with severe anxiety and depression and to say that I was at rock bottom is is really accurate because I just didn't have anything else to give. And by the time I got my diagnosis it was such a relief because I just thought at least I can stop fighting it now. <laughs> at least, I, At least I can sort of slow down and begin to piece myself back together and stop carrying on as normal because that wasn't going to work anymore. And this, this, I would say the first 18 months was characterized by noticing tiny bits of progress, but then every now and again there would be a day that would feel like, oh, am I back where I was before? And I chose to, and I feel like this is really useful, I chose to reframe those days and actually see a bad day Rather than seeing it as a huge setback, I chose to use them as a signpost of where I am now versus where I was. So if, if just to use sort of a visual image, if being depressed is like treading water in very, very deep water, then your recovery is kind of like getting back to shore or at least where you can feel the bottom. So you don't feel like you're out of control and you feel like, you know, you know what solid ground feels like. And sometimes even a bad day on that path to recovery you could sort of look back and realize the water was shallower than it had been I don't know if that's an appropriate way of describing it but it's sort of that's the way of feeling it so you even though you know you're still not where you want to be you know that you're far further on from where you were and so that can be really comforting and that can be really helpful and so I wouldn't even look at it as I mean it depends what you mean by relapse obviously but I do I, I do think from the tone of the emails I got about this, it's about, you know, I've had a series of bad days. And I think Dom made a really good point when he came on Feel Good Habits, which is there is a time to lean into a bad day. There really is. There's nothing wrong with it. Lean into a bad day and maybe even like really lean into it. Like just go for it. Just like this is a bad day. and I'm going to make bad choices. Obviously, keeping your health and safety is a priority. But if that feeling doesn't lift after a few days, that's when you go and get some help of some sort. That's where you either speak to a GP or if you have a counsellor, raise it with a counsellor. But that's where if you can't get out of it, you get some help. And I think that's really valuable advice. And the thing that, the thing that has really helped me is because I used meditation and breathing exercises very in the very early days of my recovery, if I feel something coming on, like an anxiety attack or feeling a bit blue, I can go back to those 
and it, it's like a safe port again if that makes sense it's really nice to sort of you know pop on the headspace app and listen to andy's voice and think okay we've been here before i know what this means oh i know i can do this because i've done this before so sometimes going back to something you did really early on can again be another reminder of quite how far you've come and i think one of the other things is just don't be hard on yourself it's not every day gets better it's that there are good days and every now and again there'll be a day that doesn't feel great but rather than seeing that as a bad day see it as oh well it's it was a better day than the day that I had six months ago and try and measure it that way and just see it as a good thing that you're having a bad day in some ways because it's just letting you know in the moment you felt good yesterday so you can feel that way and maybe you'll wake up and feel like that tomorrow but just go back to the things that you know really work whether it's going for a long walk whether it's meditating whether it's doing some yoga and I do think there's something to be said honestly for slowing I think we we are in such a frenetic fast-paced world social media not even just social media just like phones just having everything I mean I woke up every morning when I wake up I can think of about six reasons to pick up my phone and one of them is to check what the weather's like when it would just be easier to get up and open the curtains and look outside but so we sort of had that thing where I want to know now rather than get up and walk three feet that way and go and look out the window and I do think there's a lot to be said for in those moments when the world feels like it's all getting a bit much or everything's getting a bit when everything's getting on top of you just slow everything down and also compassion compassion is something that I've had to really chap into recently because I think I'm quite hard on myself and I've never really had compassion for myself which means I've never really had compassion for others and I have spent a lot of time recently really considering what that means and trying to put it into practice and I can already tell you that life is better when you are compassionate. But maybe I'll explore that in more detail on a different episode of the podcast because it feels like it feels like it's a bigger a bigger subject than uh, than just than just this. So, from mental health, should we go back to a makeup question? Because again, I got this one several times, and I can answer it very quickly. What is your favorite foundation and mascara? So, my favorite mascara. I keep coming back to it. There are two. And one of them has really surprised me. So the first one is Bad Gal Bang Mascara. And that is just wonderful. And I, it's quite polarizing. Lindsay Kelk, for example, is not a fan. She does not care for Bad Gal Bang. But I absolutely love it. I really, really do. And the one that's really surprised me is uh, Tom Ford Waterproof Mascara, which has come in very handy with wearing a mask. Because my biggest issue with wearing a mask is not lipstick. I can, you know, I can perfectly except that I can only wear Vaseline or lip balm underneath my mask but when I wear my mask it tends to create heat under my eyes and even though I don't wear mascara under my eyes I have noticed that I've got to places when I was able to go out and the heat from my mask has caused my mascara to melt and therefore I've had badger eyes and not so if I use the Tom Ford waterproof uh, mascara I think it's the extreme length um, mascara I'll put the link in the show notes and that's just wonderful. And that really does open up the eyes, really fattens the lashes and also really lengthens them. So those are my two favorites that I come back to time and time again, no matter what. And then my foundation of choice right now, because obviously it changes, and I've already talked about high street foundations on here uh, today, and yet neither of these, well, well, I don't know. Well, okay, so one of them is the It Cosmetics Your Skin But Better. 
I mean, you can get it on the high street, but it's still over 30 quid, which makes that makes me, it's mastige. So I sort of think, I don't know if I could really claim it as a high street foundation, but that's really lovely. As is the Bare Minerals Complexion Rescue Stick Foundation. That is like a buttery foundation stick that is just so delicious. The texture's delicious, but it just gives really lovely coverage as well. Very skin true. So those are my currants, but I would say the mascaras are my consistents. I love them and have done for a long time, but those are my current uh, favorite foundations. Um, now, should we finish on exercise? Yes, let's finish on exercise. I want to try and keep this about an hour, although there are quite a few questions, so maybe I'll do a part two. So, um, what is your favorite exercise routine? Uh, actually, do you know what? I think Owen, Owen, you know who you are. You said, maybe we'll try and put this in here as well. You asked about getting started with exercise. So maybe I can pop these two together. So how do you get started with exercise? Because who cares what my favorite exercise regime is? Um, ultimately, it's about you. So how can you get started with exercise? Here's the thing. I believed for such a long time that to be somebody who exercised meant that you had to look a certain way, buy a certain type of fitness gear, approach it in a certain way, drink smoothies, get up at the crack of dawn, live and breathe it and it had to be your identity and intertwined or sort of all entangled with my light bulb moment was that was that sort of weird understanding of it doesn't have to be like that at all and as long as you give it a hundred percent while you're doing it you get you will um while you're doing exercise you will experience the same physical benefits whether you're really enthusiastic about it or whether you're miserable about it let's just face it but I think also there's this idea that it has to be intense, it has to be extreme, and that it's always about results. And I think as soon as I flipped it and I thought, it's actually about me looking after my health, everything changed. So I prioritize long walks because I know that the benefits of long walks aren't just physical, they're mental and they're emotional. So I know that a good, like not a good week, I've got to be careful about the vocabulary that vocabulary I use. I know that by incorporating long walks into my week, especially my weekends, I am helping my brain and helping my body. Yes, there's a calorie burn, but I'm, I'm not doing it for the calorie burn, but I'm doing it to move, to get my blood pumping so things don't get stagnant, to oxygenate my blood and my body, to get uh, oxygen into my system and to get outside and breathe really clean air. So that's just as important to me as doing a 30-minute HIIT training session because that will also give me other benefits. But I know that actually, if I had to choose only one of those, I would choose walking for an hour all day, every day over anything else, because I do believe that the the cumulative benefits of that and the benefits that you get in one sitting are really amazing. Obviously, please don't make me choose because I'd really like to do it all. Um, so that's what I would say. So don't think that you have to go, uh, go big or go home. That was another thing I used to do. Just do as much exercise all the time and just 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 always exercise and I remember when I first really got the sort of fitness bug if you like I went to see a really brilliant um, personal trainer called Matt Roberts in London he gave me a program and I saw incredible results like I transformed my body in the space of about six months but it was so unsustainable and it was meaning with the job I had at the time like I could only, I could only go at six 
I could only work out at six o'clock in the morning and like I was traveling a lot at that time and so there'd be some weeks where I couldn't do all of the workouts and I'd give myself a really hard time so I'd do two a day and then when I plateaued which is inevitable instead of changing my workouts I kept doing the workouts I was doing but then would supplement with bums and tums classes or body pump classes and spinning classes so I was at some point I was working out 14 times a week and that's just unsustainable and cray cray so that's not the way to do it the way to do it is to just go in and be really easy so if you're starting from scratch think right this week I haven't done any exercise next week I commit to do two long walks two long walks meaning two walks of 40 minutes easy and then just keep building that up two walks a week turns into three walks a week and you just don't I think what I used to do and what I think a lot of people can do and it's tempting is just go right I'm going to start this seven day thing and go hell for leather ease your way into it be really kind to yourself notice the difference pay attention to how it makes you feel and then if you are looking for um workouts that might be a little more intense maybe involve weights then do look at people like alice living she's really sensible she's a great one for advocating the benefits of rest and i have to say i had to take a rest recently because during lockdown i'd done nothing but i'd been very consistent with my exercise to the point that i'd almost overdone it because i hadn't taken any time to rest and i took a rest week and the benefits that i felt were just insane so she's really responsible and always talks about rest jillian's app which i'm currently using is also very big on rest but is also one of you can go through and you can say right i'm a beginner i don't want to do this kind of thing i want to find an alternative to that and you can customize your programs i have i did look at tracy anderson but i haven't um haven't actually done that yet so I'll I'll hold fire on that but I know Joe Jones is a big fan of pop sugar so I just think don't commit to do it every day ease your way in and don't think that you have to be a certain type of person who takes wheat grass shots and drinks nothing but green smoothies you can exercise and it doesn't have to define you and that was something it took me a really long time to realize maybe that wasn't the sort of the tone of the question Owen maybe you just wanted to find out um, some other recommendations. So if you've got a, if I wasn't specific enough, write in Owen and I will uh, do a second part to that answer that hopefully gets exactly what you want out of it. Okay, so we've hit an hour. So I think that's plenty of your time taken um, whenever you, it is that you're listening to this. But the, God, I'm looking, I'm scrolling through the document. There's still another four or five pages of questions. So How's about we do another one of these? But in the meantime, if you have any questions from this episode, email me at thebeautypodcast at gmail.com or you can slide into my DMs on Instagram and Twitter where I'm at Emma Guns. I'd love to hear from you. Or there's also a thread in the Facebook forum. The link to join is in the show notes where I've said, what would you like me to answer in this episode? And you can um, add to that thread or you can start a new thread of your own and just say, Emma, could you make sure that you answer this in the next one? And I will happily oblige. It really is my honor to make this show for you. And I hope that um, I hope that you know that if you want any subjects covered, you just have to get in touch with me and I will try and make them happen. And I will try and make them happen with the best people available to answer your questions and to share their expertise on the subjects that are important to you. That's so, so vitally important to me. Thank you so much for listening. Honestly, 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 it's always such an honor um, to know, to spend this time with you. And I am honored that you trust me with your time and that you give me your time. So please don't think that doesn't go um, unappreciated. I couldn't make this show without you. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening. I will see you on the next one. 
Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. 